Dundalk have gone where no Irish club has ever been before. And welcome to you all. This is the third running of LOI Weekly. At LOI Weekly on Twitter and brought to you in association with Airsports and Independent.ie. You will obviously find us, as always, on iTunes and SoundCloud. And tonight's show is going to be quite interesting because we're looking to the FA Cup, uh, Millwall versus Spurs. We're going to talk to Sean Williams, who had a great career in Britain already and of course play for Drogheda United and somebody who is playing for Drogheda United at the moment is Stephen Elliott and he's going to join us in the studio. We're going to have to shock you already despite what happened in week one, Daniel McDonald. we're joined by none other than... By Damien Lynch. Who you even seem surprised he's been <laughs> here an hour or so. <laughs> well, uh, that was just a bit of drama for the introduction. I mean we actually did, we, we've spoken to Damien earlier but the whole thing is it's like we've just, we've mm. just met, you know. This is the first time that you and Damien have spoken since we've kind of become mates, so yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't get too far ahead of that. Since the attack on yeah. week one, we we were playing ball together today, and I was never involved in a traffic jam on a bike before, but I couldn't get through Dame Street with all the, you know, the big protests in town. Damien, you got caught up as well. I did indeed. Yeah, yeah on the way down, got caught just coming across the Connell Street. I had to jump out of a taxi and jump on a Dublin bike on the way up. Are you pro-feminism after what's <laughs> happened today, or anti-feminism in general? Always <laughs> pro-feminism. Always pro-feminism. Uh, before we are on air, we're talking about the possibility, and it's, it's a small possibility, that there might be one Dublin club in the top flight next season. Now, this is a staggering idea, but let's think about this. You said to me, right, that one of Bowes and Pats will likely get relegated. Dan, that's factually... We well, we, well, I'm not sure if it's factually correct. It's sorry, it, it, it's, it's but, uh, in terms of odds, it, I think it's definitely um, odds-on that one of them will get relegated. Yeah, I think it's very possible, yeah. Very um, possible. Uh, if I were to put betting on two of them getting relegated, it wouldn't be a huge price, Damien. Now, you have an interesting view on this, and you'd like to see the game spread out maybe throughout the country, but what do you make of Pats and Bo so far? Both struggling. Uh, you were in Drada. In Drada, um, lacklustre performance, no urgency. They didn't necessarily look very fit, like looking at Fagan. He wasn't moving as well as I'd expect them so early in the season. Um, and just all round, it was a disappointing performance by them. Like, if you look at their midfield uh, in there, it's just nowhere near where Liam Buckley's old good sides used to have. If you compare them to the when Bulger was there, he had uh, Forrester, uh, Killian Brennan. These guys got the ball down, played really, really well. Whereas you look in the middle now, you have Verdon, Kelly, uh, Craig is in there. They just don't suit the style of play that um, Liam Buckley has. And they didn't get on the ball well. Andrade actually bossed them in the middle of the park, and that's where the game was won. So uh, really worrying for St. Pat's, all right. Um, and then we look at where Bows are, two games down, haven't managed to get pick up points. So both of them are, look like they could be in trouble. Let's not over-dramatise things, it's two games down. We're, we're, probably, we're probably overreacting a bit, but these things are mainly decided on budgets. Where would these teams come in, Dan, budget-wise in the league? Well, I mean, Bows would have a very low budget for the, for the Premier Division, and um, they've also... The weakness of their squad is evidenced by the fact that like a couple of injuries really makes them look light. Um, I would think Pat's though. I mean, Pat's fended off other clubs to to retain Christy yeah. Fagan, um, who I think would be one of the highest paid players in the in the country. Now. Would he be? Oh, very much so. Yeah. How is he not so. fit then? Well, just looking at him, he just it wasn't carrying himself well, wasn't moving well. Now it's difficult for him because he doesn't have the supply around him. Like the players playing off him aren't as good at the moment, and they didn't get into the free flowing style that has suited him with Liam Buckley's side so just he didn't look fit to me overall yeah. um, I, I think with Pats I mean it, it seems like they're rebuilding again and like last season they were rebuilding too and yeah. it seems like that you mentioned that very good team they had with the, the league winners with Bulger and Killian Brennan and um, that okay they had Forrester who, who eventually left um, but I mean they, they did I know they did try and get various players in over the winter didn't necessarily get all their targets you, you're talking about budgets but I mean they were able to retain Fagan uh, which was a, a surprise given that he seemed to have good offers elsewhere I think Killian Brennan was actually mentioned as an option for going back went to draw instead um, but still I mean brought some reasonably well thought of players back from England and maybe the line is that they're rebuilding again and these players need time. But this is a season where time is not necessarily available to clubs it's, it's in, in terms of the pressure that comes with it. And, and it's something we spoke about in the first week, and I suspect we're going to be talk, talking about it for a while, because any club that's down there, uh, Sligo have lost two games. Mm. Uh, a team like Drada, who we, I think, would have all expected to be in the relegation premises, now have six points, and all of a sudden, just teams are just getting that bit... Going to get antsy if they're... Already if, after uh, two games. Uh, and Damien, you know, I, I said to you beforehand that when there were 17, thereabouts out of 22 from Dublin it represented more or less the population of Dublin versus the rest of the Republic of Ireland 
But you'd be thinking that some of these clubs might even die away, the established clubs in Dublin. Yeah, if I look at what happened to Shells, they're in the first division now. How many people turn up to their games on average? Yeah, I think, well, they've had disputes there as well over the, the direction the club yeah. has taken. But it, you're, you're talking three figures, you know, yeah, you're talking yeah. 600. Pats have struggled to get crowds. I know the first week we discussed that, whether they're a big club or not. And I bring bows into that now, you know, they're struggling. And I don't see it t- them tying into the community. Um, and For me, I think you always have to have an element of the community or what I look at county football, for example. So if I'm a young lad in Cork, I want to play for Cork City. Obviously, you want to play for Man United on top of that, but you, you think back to where, where are you from? Can I play for Cork? Can I play for Limerick? That sort of stuff. And I do believe there's a big element of that. Like, if you look at what, what is in GAA, how people want to play for their county team. And I think you can try and develop that in the League of Ireland with the likes of Sligo and build out a regional league. So, And I do think there's too many teams in Dublin, um, even though there's history there. But for me, when you look at the long term, what, what do we want to look at? 8,000 people turn up to see a home game for, for a team. Will any of them Dublin clubs ever get eight to 10,000 people on average yeah. turn up to watch a match? Even, saw, even Shamrock Rovers. Well, I mean, now. Rovers did a, a, over five last week, which was a great, great turnout for them. I think it's an interesting one because the, the whole 10 team league debate, and uh, I don't like how it's been brought in, the way it's been communicated, uh, just, you know, it's very unsatisfactory. Yeah. The concept of a 10 team league, I'm not sure I'm as against it as maybe the maybe the, the the groundswell, the majority out there seems to be very much against it. And ironically enough, if you only had like a handful of Dublin clubs, only one or two, and then you have a team from Cork and a team from Limerick and a team from Sligo and maybe whoever comes up, Waterford maybe, um, do you know, it might not be as bad as people think if each of those clubs is in a population centre getting reasonably good crowds because I do believe... The only argument for a 10-team league, and it is the only one really, is to bring the minimum standard up in the top flight. And the, the argument before was the 10-team league was bad. That's because half the t- league was Dublin clubs. And there was every second game was a Dublin derby. It could be a different type of... T- and I'm still not sold completely on it, but it's certainly a persuasive argument for it. A 10-team league with four Dublin clubs is, is ridiculous. And that's, that's, that's yeah. how long would have been. And you're looking at Cork and Dundalk, just the place they are at the moment. Are you looking after two weeks that almost already... They might even be a little notch ahead of the other other sides. Uh, obviously, we we did we had that disaster in McGinn Park, <laughs> but haven't seen you know um, Dundalk hockey slide go. I was talking to Dundalk and I said they could have they weren't even out of second gear. Cork blitzed us, and we came into the season thinking Galway we were going to do okay. Are they already a notch ahead, Demo? I think what stood out for me this was more about the players that weren't playing as the players who were that's playing. That's the thing, isn't you know. It? You look at O'Donnell was out, and Massey were out. They're like, and yet they still looked phenomenal. Um, on on the highlights, now Sligo looked poor. Let's be honest about it. They looked poor, and there was cheap sending off, and they just don't look right at the moment. But yeah, all over. We we mentioned McElhenney the first week, and I do have questions of just how good he is when he's the main man. But he's really answering them ever already. For two games in, he just looks. That's like almost he's like sacrilege at the moment. You can que- you you cannot question McElhenney. It's the populist view. It is. It's very populist. Three, three games and a couple of tweets, and you're you're the best player <laughs> in the history of the league. Whereas I do think this year is the big year for him. If he can dominate the, the league this year, I think he'll move to one of the top. Uh, Championship sides overall, I think he has that that in his locker, and, and he, he's quite a reputation among fellow players. Oh no, I mean, I think they always. I think the, the view that Stephen Kenny has, has expressed that you know he's the most talented player potentially, potentially, and potential is the key word. You know, in fifteen years, um, I think that view you sense that it will be shared by players out there that they can certainly see that he's got all the ability and all the talent, and if he starts to deliver on it, um, it's going to be exciting to see what happens. There was, I mean, you do watch the highlights the other night of the games and. Um, okay, there's just a fluidity about this yeah. sort of the dog team that you do think, God, they're playing a different game sometimes to some of the others. And um, at the same time, we've got a double weekend. I know we're going to look ahead to it a bit in a while, so we're going to get stuck into it now. But, you know, they've got Limerick, they've got Derry, you know, a big double header, and we'll see. But you do feel it's building towards this Cork and Dock game yeah. already in a couple of weeks' time and, and wh- how many points they could have each at that point. And know? one thing that jumps out at me is with Stephen Kenny, so it's all through the years, he's always had good wingers. And you know we've lost Horgan now, but when I look in the middle or in the wing now with Duffy coming in, he looks like he's very good. He set up the goal the other night, and, and he he's he scored one as well, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, so but Damon, they're they're also playing a lot more narrow now, aren't they? You know, if they're going to go through a number ten like McElhenney, um, you know, Mountney maybe isn't he's not a classical winger either. So, but you've Duffy out on the other side as well, who in, in the first week was excellent, stayed wide, and he he mixes it up. And Horgan used to do that as well. Horgan used to come inside off the line All a lot. The time, yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. the case. So that's that's their style. But I think the one thing that Stephen Kenny says to them is, go and play. You know, do, do what you want to do. And the uh, McElhenney Benson move for. 
Benson's uh, chance in the first half. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it on TV. It was absolutely, you know, amazing stuff, the technical ability of that. Uh, we're joined by Stephen Elliott. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to make a bit of a prediction here. You're going to end up working in the media because you've come into the studio wearing this beautiful suit with this kind of <laughs> handkerchief um, affectation, uh, sitting beside, you know, a man with a kind of a worn well, grey you know, run-of-the-mill jumper, namely Damien Lynch. Um, what was the thought process with your uh, sartorial choice tonight coming in here? Yeah, because I'm actually doing a little bit of work with a kind of online sports app, and that's where I was today before for training, so that's probably why I'm dressed like this. I wasn't purposely for this show, but I, sh I should actually have said that, and made out that I made the effort for the show. Don't but really no. illusion. <laughs> yeah, don't illusion. Would you like to go down the media route? Yeah, it's something that I enjoy. I enjoy talking about football, and obviously it's it's... It's enjoyable meeting new people and that and finding out different ideas and I said football's all about opinions and you hear so many different ones when you when you do work in the media and it's it's always nice to debate it. I guess when uh, you ended up leaving Shells and you struck me as this guy who'd come back from England and gave the League of Ireland a go and would possibly fade into obscurity and I was delighted to see then that you were back in the League of Ireland with Drogheda, got to see you in week one and you put in a good shift in Terryland and now you're two wins from two so you must be thrilled with how things are going. Yeah, it's it's uh, been a terrific start for us. Obviously, we um, it's it's known to everybody that we're probably one of the favourites to get relegated. Well, all the bookmakers seem to think that way. But we we've gone into we went into the first game away to Galway, and we knew it was going to be tough. They they've got a new manager, and they they were going to be right up for the game. But we we thought if we can stay in the game and kind of get to half time at nil nil, then we knew we'd get chances second half when we we had a bit more of the win. But it was an I think that the game plan worked really well and we managed to get a winner late on and obviously go back up the road with three points. Um, Stephen, like, how have you found the, the adjustment process coming back to Ireland? Because I'm guessing when you went to Man City, you were, what, 15, 16? You are away for a long time. And how you've, what's it like just being home again? Uh, yeah, well, a lot happened to me over the, over the, since I first moved to England as a boy. Obviously, I, I met my wife and had four children as well along the way, as well as having, having a football career. So... No, I've I've learned a lot over the years, and obviously moving back, it was it was a decision we both made, myself and my wife, just for kind of we decided we were either going to move to where she was from in Sunderland or back to where I'm from here, and we decided to come here. And it's something that we're still we're still going through a settling in period, but as I said, the longer it goes on, the more comfortable we're. we're. I mean, uh, just the, the the idea of coming back to play in Ireland. I mean, you mentioned that it was a discussion that you had if you'd gone to Sunderland the Sunderland area would that have involved playing football as well or what was your thinking there to be honest with you uh, after I had my second operation on my Achilles which I picked up when I was at Carlisle I was I really contemplated not playing again because I was in so much pain that I'd, I didn't think I'd be able to physically play never mind whether I wanted to so I just thought come back home and like be around family and friends and as 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 I came home, I kind of walked on my rehab, and I managed to get myself back moving really well. And I thought, Do you know what, I've I've missed out on the last three and a half, four years of playing. I just want to try and get a few more few more years on the back end of my career, and basically just try and enjoy my football after having such a bad time of it. And do you have to manage your fitness now? Like looking at you, I was at the game on Friday, and you were moving well up top. Um, is that something you skip training, or you do certain types of training, or is it continue continual uh, rehab? Uh, yeah, I have to be careful now with certain things I do in training. Obviously, I've I've had a bad knee injury and a bad Achilles injury, so I need I've got exercises that I need to keep up through the week and manage them. And maybe some of the stuff the boys would do in training, I I probably would kind of take a step back in that. But no, I, I try and do as much as possible because, as I said, it's very important to kind of keep up that sharpness because you're playing in matches like they're, they're kind of they're high high impact games and you, you have to be sharp and you have to be ready and for me to be kind of back playing and being involved I'm although it wouldn't have been at the level that I would have been used to playing in my career in England I'm I'm probably enjoying it more now than anywhere any any other time because of the the time I missed out in playing so no I'm still I'm still working really hard and training and stuff and as I said, I, I feel good in myself and I can feel my sharpness slowly coming back into me. Stephen, do you, do you see it's always almost like a second chance? Uh, where I mean, Damien, you must relate to this. When your career is coming to an end, it must be very difficult to deal with that. And you got that second chance. You're at Drogheda working under Pete Mann, who was, um, you know, got a bit of stick from Damo in week one. How are you finding Keith and how is that second chance going for you? It's, I don't look at it as a second chance. I just look at it as me having having a platform to kind of go out and play and be part of a team again like because I said I went through a really terrible time with injuries I was out of contract and having to pay for my own rehab working with private physios and stuff like that and to be back in that that uh, training training ground environment having to crack with the lads it's it's 
I wouldn't say it's a dream come true, but it's it's a really good feeling to kind of have that. It kind of gives you something to grow up and kind of go for. Because I'm I've I'm only just turned 33, so I, I I've looked after myself really well, and I like to think I've got a few more years left playing. And whatever level that that is, then we'll see. But now I've really enjoyed working with Pete. He's, I know he's probably a little bit one of the old school managers, but I think there's a good balance there with him, uh, John Gill, and obviously Mark Kinsel is there as well. And I've really enjoyed it so far. Like obviously the. You know, you know, you need to work hard for them, especially with being a young squad. They might, they might kind of shout a little bit more at the young lads, which I'm sure. Damien, <laughs> you that's what I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like it's 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 one of them. I think it's it's just trying to get a reaction. But I think he's brought the good thing. I think Pete has done this year. He's brought in a bit of experience into the group, and I think myself and the other experienced lads can help the group because there's going to be situations through the season where things aren't going as smoothly as as the start we've had. So I think it's going to be important that to have kind of all heads in the dressing room to be able to look out for the young lads because as I said it's it's a it's a long old season and it's going to be a big grind for us but no I've really enjoyed it so far yeah I mean look I don't want to be training in on that difficult time that you had because you played for Ireland you played Premier League football like you achieved a lot in your career but during that spell you mentioned sort of bouncing from club to club and that uncertainty I mean did you see yourself just drifting out of the game and, and doing something else completely different could you ever envisage yourself not been involved in football. I, d- I don't think so. Look, like it's been part of my life since since I could probably walk. Do you know what I mean? It's been it was always a dream of mine to to play football, and that's all I know. Like from the, as I said, as you mentioned earlier on, from the age of fifteen, I moved away, and every day in my life I've was training, kicking balls, being involved, going watching games, being in and around football. Or so, I think it's very difficult to just totally take yourself away from that. But I did go through a spell where when I was injured where I just thought you know I've had enough of this game I kind of not fell out with it but you just feel like because I was young when I had my injuries I thought you know I can't be bothered with this because I felt a little bit kind of aggrieved looking at other players at my age and I thought look at them they've not got bad injuries and it's probably a bad way of looking at it but I wasn't in that in that situation for long I realized that there's other things outside of football but I always, I always had it in my mind that I'd be back involved and it's something that I'd like to think I'll be involved with for the rest of my life. I mean, how do you, uh, how do you, have you adapted to the role of being that senior pro now within the dressing room? Because I guess I think Pete has spoken about, say, Thomas Byrne, like someone who's come back from Brighton is what, I don't know, 18, 19 years of age. You know, how do you, do you feel you're in a position to really be a sort of a mentor figure to these guys? Do you like that sort of title or Eh. responsibility? I'm guessing no by your body language. To be honest with you, I still feel like I'm I'm a I'm a twenty year old at heart. Like yeah, yeah, like if there's a bit of crack going down and you you like to get involved, you don't want to be the 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 old pro sitting in the corner of the dressing room every going, listen, be quiet. There's a I was that cranky old pro. There's there's sleeves coming back. (laughs) There's sleeves coming into the dressing room, lads. Be quiet because I I don't want them to think I'm like that. I'd like them to think like they can come. What do they call you? Sleeves. Sleeves. Yeah, that's my nickname. Stephen Elliott's nickname is Sleeves. Yeah. So so that's can you explain that? Just when I was at Sunderland. How do you get a nickname Sleeves? I don't know. I was, was, was at Sunderland. I've told a story a few times before, but I'll say it again anyway. I was at Sunderland. I used to know if you're telling a story and you didn't quite believe somebody, you'd say Sleeves up instead of saying serious because obviously when you pull your sleeves up, you're getting serious. So I used to say that a few times and I think it was big Mick McCarthy says, heard me say it a few times. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, no, <laughs> Sleeves. We'll call you Sleeves. And ever since then, it just kind of kind of stuck with me. Why so. you do the rest of the show on a Mick McCarthy <laughs> Damon, we're going to work on your impression. Okay, okay. Now, he, as I said, all in the game now, I don't think anybody... If any, if somebody calls me Steven now, I'm kind of in shock. So I've just kind of grown accustomed to it. Even my wife calls me in now. So, but I could think of other... She calls, you, she calls you one or two yeah, other things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now your you, kids are calling you. Yeah, well, they, they, they kind of mention... If, if they kind of want something, they'll call me that like in a smart way. You can tell they're after something. But no, it's something you get used to and it's, it's only a nickname, isn't it? Not the uh, worst one I've come it's, across it's, in football it's, over the years. It's not. Um, who are you looking forward to playing most actually this year in the League of Ireland? Um... Loud Derby? Uh, yeah, I've heard. I've heard that's kind of a few of the lads walking walking behind the scenes at the club have said to me like, "Never mind your time weird Derby or your Edinburgh Derby. Wait, <laughs> you, wait, you go wait and you see the Loud Derby." So <laughs> one of them has says there'll be there'll be flames thrown onto the pitch up in Oriel Park. So I'm I'm looking forward the to that. The club will be fine. Fifteen grand. <laughs> yeah. Now, if, if you're to pick one, obviously I'm looking forward to playing against Dundalk because they they've been the top dogs over the last few years and. You, you, you want to pit yourself against them and see how you, you fare against them. And no Andy Boyle in this particular fixture who's made a good start down to life pressing. Yeah, no, he has. Um, he's, he's, he's sort of broken through this week and he's sort of met his debut this week. And um, I think it's, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's good to see. I mean, I, I know, you know I've sort of 
saw sort of Stephen tweeting about the European games with Dundalk last year and so on. And, and now you're in studio with him. And now I'm in studio with him, yeah. Um, <laughs> Dream but come it, true. I, I think there was a lot of expectation. We've touched on it in those Dundalk boys and how they would fare at, at championship level. I don't know how you felt even, Stephen, like, from watching the Dundalk players last year, say Horgan and, and Boyle, and your knowledge of sort of the English scene and what it takes, how you felt they would do when they went across. Yeah, obviously they've, they've gone to Preston now. I, I had a spell at Preston. I was there for a couple of years. And, and to be honest, I think it's a perfect fit for both of them, especially... Um, um, Daryl Horgan I think it's it's a pitch the pitch at Deepdale is a nice big pitch and it's a great surface and it, it fits perfectly with the way he plays the game getting the ball down and getting at defenders and I think as we see him with the start he's, he's got there he's he's already a crowd favourite and I think what he has done he's he's, he's given Aidan McGeady a lift as well which is good from an Irish perspective and like you mentioned there Boyle made his debut last night and it's it's only good for the future of Irish football and as I said people playing in the League of Ireland will look at them and think do you know what that could be me and that can only be good and last week we had Owen Heary on who was tipping Sean Maguire to be I guess the one to follow uh, Horgan and Boyle and we spoke to Sean in advance of the big game on Friday on air, which will involve Stephen's team, Drogheda United against Cork City. Our last five games against Dundalk, we've, we've won four out of five, which we lost the one in Oriel Park last season, which was probably the, the most important one. But I think it's kind of down to consistency, you know, because those games last season at home where we drew Drew games at home, silly games, like like nil-nil, like teams are coming down to turn this cross with the kind of like the platform to kind of like sit back and make it hard for us. But I think this year we're gonna have to take every game the exact same, whether it's Dundalk at home, Dundalk away, like treat it the same as, as it's like Finn Harps away, Finn Harps at home, you know. So I think it is pretty much down to consistency, you know, and and winning them games which we know we we drew last season, you know, I think there was a week we there was three games, we only picked up one point out of nine, which kind of like set us back a bit and we were Kind of chasing the dog for most of the season, so I think we have to kind of build on that this season. Stephen, you've been around the blocks in England, place like Sunderland. Did you ever hear an accent like that before? <laughs> <laughs> now I've heard a few, to be honest. Like there's always a few Irish lads being around with different accents and that, but now his is quite spectacular. Spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have different accents out there, isn't think, it? Think of Johnny, all the words. People in glass houses. Be careful now. I have a very flat Galway accent, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're going to get a bit of a rude awakening here against Cork City because uh, played against Galway United and Pats, two teams who may well be involved in relegation trouble, and now you're playing against a team that actually performed well in Europe last season mm -hmm. against Genk, who are going really well since. How, how do you envisage this going, actually? Listen, we're under no illusions. It's going to be, it's definitely going to be our toughest game of the season so far. So we're going to be well drilled and well prepared for for um, what they're going to bring on. We've watched a bits bits of the highlights and we know what their strengths are. So. We're going to hopefully stifle their game and maybe inflict some of ours on theirs. Are you going to start? I don't know the team yet, so we just we all have to prepare as if we're starting the game. I suppose the issue here, Dan, is Cork haven't conceded a single chance yet. Yeah, I mean, I certainly the first game in Harps seems like it was a bit of a non-event to some degree with the pitch being so bad. And, and certainly, um, I think even in that game, I remember following the updates, I think Cork didn't even have a corner in the first half. It just seemed like it was a slog. A bit more impressive last week. And I don't know, see what Damien thinks. I mean, I think this is the kind of game, maybe in recent years, you think Cork, could they... They're not the most prolific side. And if they get dragged into a battle, are they going to score their way out of trouble like the dog to on occasion? You yeah, know? I think so these are the games where last year you worried about them. They went to Sligo. I think they were beating and they beaten. They drew a few games as well. So I think this is the type of game they're under severe pressure now. You guys can turn up, Stephen. You know, there's no pressure on you guys. It's a difficult place to go back. When I was at Drogheda, Cork used to hate coming to play there. It's a small pitch. You can make it difficult for them. And if... Now, in fairness, they've got four different goal scorers last week. Uh, Dooley looks good. Maguire looks good. So, overall, they look strong. But I do have questions about their back four. I'm not sure about the centre-back partnership yet. Delaney, he looks a little bit erratic at times. Um, now, granted, he hasn't been under too much pressure. But I think there's a huge amount of pressure on Cork here. Um, particularly, you haven't lost yet. You're going up there. Everyone's expecting them to win. You, you guys have nothing to play. Like, you've nothing to worry about, should I say. Um, you can go and play defensively, which is did on Friday. I know you set up really well, really good shape about it, very strong in the midfield. So I, I, I'd expect them to win, but it's a difficult game. Would you have used that pitch to your advantage in your time at draw? I know Stephen's not there that long, but was it very much something you were conscious of? This is a tight enough pitch. It's the old, it's not the nicest place to go. I know it's sort of a dreadful cliche, but were you conscious? Yeah, we can use the parameters here for, for our benefit. I remember once Paul Doolan described the saying, 
25 yards and Drogheda is different from 25 yards anywhere else. Now, Damo, I'm not too this sure is your if that's true. This is your opportunity <laughs> to do uh, his Mick McCarthy. You have to do Dulo. Um, <laughs> I probably won't do Dulo right now. But, Go ahead. Um, you know. No, it was a very tight, tight pitch. Not um, even going to try. Do, no, the no, way we played... Not. I should just sound angry, mm. should I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he really had a gripe with the word Dulo, hadn't he? You know, he was just annoyed most of the time. One of the most pleasant men I've ever come across when he's a sl- yeah, um, <laughs> asleep. Yeah, something like that. Uh, no, when the team I was in, we were very free-flowing with the way we played. And we, although we got used to the, to the size there, but when you're under pressure, I remember going up there when I was at Bowes and it was a tough draw the team were playing against. Andy Moyler was playing, uh, my brother. He used to make it really difficult for you. And the pitch wasn't great the other night mm. as well. So um, I, I, do, I think it's a tough place for Cork to go. Listen, I expect them to get the three points, uh, but you can make it very hard for them. It's got... Um, early on it might be a daft question but are you looking forward to being back on the box uh, yeah it's on the telly so it's it doesn't really make much a dif- much difference it's, when it's you're on, on the aerial, pitch so just promote the game <laughs> yeah. no. we, know, we know it's on air but I'm saying it, yeah. to me though, that doesn't make much difference to what goes on on the pitch because you've got to block all that or you're kind of mind and you just kind of get on with what's in store on the pitch but they're some, they're, they're the t- one of the top teams I think they're going to push Dundalk very close this year probably for the title probably be the closest one I've seen for the next few uh, in the last few years, but uh, as we if we can kind of set up like you mentioned earlier on and hopefully kind of keep keep their their attacking threats to a minimum, then there's no reason why our players can create chances. Like we've got some good quality um, attacking players. We've got brought in um, Gavin Brennan. He can be a threat aerial, obviously. Young Thomas Bourne, like you mentioned, he's got bags of ability and he just needs a platform to play. Garrett McCaffrey came on in the fourth week score goal. He's got ability. So listen, we, we're not fearful of anybody. We're, we know it's going to be tough. We know we're one, we're, nobody's expecting any. No, nobody is expecting us to do anything in the league this year. So we just have to quietly go about our business and and hopefully keep picking up points. How good is Byrne? I watched him the other night. And he gave Birmingham a bit of a, a challenge. He's yeah. a very good, strong uh, left back and Hoyle in the middle of the park. The two lads just are they are they very good? And you could see them doing, yeah, doing well. I think some of the stuff Thomas Bourne will do in training now. You think, geez, he, what what a talent he is! Like he's he's got he's got all the talent in the world now. I think it's up to himself how far he wants to go in the game. He's only eighteen and he's still learning the game. And as I said, it's it's up to the senior lads like myself to kind of bring him on and kind of show him the right way of going. Because there's that's no important, isn't it? Yeah, you know? I think it definitely is. Especially like he's he's had a taste of what it's like over in the UK, and he's obviously come back. Things haven't worked out as well as he probably would have liked for one reason or another over there. But I don't see there's any reason why he can, over the next few years, mature mature on the pitch, get physically stronger. And he, he's got to be looking at the likes of Horgan and Boyle and these other lads that have gone away from the League of Ireland. And I think he's as, he has the potential to be as be as good as any of them. And Dan... Be 19 again, hey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm feeling my age, actually, as the show goes on as well, you know. Uh, you and I played today, Dan. We're still plugging away in our mid-30s, yeah. but anyway... You were plugging very... I was. Let's not, let's not go we'll into that. Shamrock Rovers versus Derry should be an absolute cracker. Uh, yeah. I, I was more impressed maybe with Rovers, the way they played, than you and Damo were on Friday against Bowes. Yeah, I hope, it's a, I hope to pitch them better, Nick. That gives it a chance of being a cracker because the first half was a bit of a slog last week and it definitely had an impact. And I mean, Derry can be a very good side to watch when they're in full flow. Um, and we shall see if the conditions a- allowed them to do it. I mean, you would hope so. Um, like, I thought Rovers were quite good. You could definitely spin elements of Friday to, to be very positive from a Rovers perspective. If you look at this great breakaway second goal they had, like you have three teenagers involved with it. Trevor Clark, Duna, Michael O'Connor with the finish. And, you know, last year they played bows towards the end of the season and they got bullied by them. And they, it was 1-0, but they were really... They were, well, they were well beaten. They, they won the battle to, an, to a degree on Friday, and they're I think that'd be the positive. They're still high on the testosterone levels yeah. as well, aren't they? They look really fired up for you these games. See, yeah, you could see that. Even the, the first goal, the fir- Duffer was going mad on the sideline yeah. when they scored. I, I, I thought it was like this collective kind of, you know, strength in, in kind of, you know, our mentality and so forth, which was probably like Bradley saying, you know, we were a soft touch. And remember, we went back to that. Uh, press conference earlier in the year where Ryan Connolly said I like coming to Tala because it was a soft mm-hmm. touch that midfield and it's like as if they've you know had a revolt against this I think even in the Dundalk game you saw McAllister left one on um, O'Donnell wasn't yeah. it and there was a couple of like, niggly elbows and they were they were just a little bit tougher and they were a soft touch last year so, so I do think this year Stephen Bradley, who wouldn't have been known for it when he was playing, a, no. a guy to, to dish it out, and neither Steve McPhail, the guys involved there. But I just think sometimes when you're in a dressing room, there's nothing worse than people thinking you are soft. You know, Dave McAllister coming in there, he's a bit about him, and, and he can put himself about. And, 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 and what, what, soft is more or less what Stephen described Pats as, in effect, last Friday. Who And Pats are obviously going to play Sligo in what is already a six-pointer. You weren't impressed with Pats in terms of their confidence? No, I... 
Well, going back to obviously the Rovers Bowes game, I actually watched the back um, Friday when I got in. I couldn't sleep, so I had a record and I watched Insomnia. the back. Insomnia. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, I actually thought Bowes done okay first half. You know, and I think Rovers showed a quality second half. They had that little bit more kind of composure on the ball around the pitch, and that's something that I think Stephen Bradley will be trying to drill into his teams, into his team this year. But I think Bowes done okay up onto a period in the game, and then they just seemed to kind of lack something. But now Pat's going back to the Pat's what you mentioned. I don't know. I just think when we scored the goal, I think start the second half. Obviously they. they they rattled, uh, I think Billy Dennegy hit the post and I think after that we, we kind of got ahead of steam and we were forced to every second ball. I think like um, you mentioned, uh, Jake Hyland in midfield, he, he was a really b- big performer for his last Jake week. Jake could be a good player, couldn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's, got, he's got really good attributes. He's, he's got a great engine on him and he's he gets he's up tall and as well. yeah he's, he's, big, he's big he's athletic he's he's not a bad footballer either and he's he's, he's only young as well like you, you forget some all these lads that I'm playing with they make me feel like a granda <laughs> like so the 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 real the really good there's a really good pedigree there and I don't know I, I just think we were going back to Pats I just felt like I don't know you, you just sensed on the pitch that we were going to win the game that's just the way I felt personally that's anyway I'm sort of going back on ourselves but what do you make of the Rovers project just seeing Duffer on the sideline, Stephen McPhail, you know, guys you would have been very aware of in, in your yeah. own career, now involved in that other side of the game. Yeah, well it's, it's good for the area, obviously, to get, to get these guys with, uh, of their, their profile. And, and I've, I think I've heard today Robbie Keane is in training with them as well. Exclusively the Irish Independent, Dan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like, as I said, that can only help. Like you mentioned, the, the attack they had for their second goal, all the young lads. And it's, it's good for Irish football to have lads coming back, the likes of, like you mentioned, MacPhail, uh, Damien Duff, passing on what their knowledge of the game to these young lads. And you, you're hoping that there's going to be a few more. Uh, Daryl Horgan's Andy Boyle's likes of Wes Houlihan as well like you, you're looking that's what we're trying to create here and they've obviously set the foundations down for that so hopefully it may work and just in relation to Sligo Dan it was quite worrying to hear Robertson come up with all this bluff after the game when Dundalk could have won 8-0 by all accounts and he was blaming the referee and con arting from artists from the Dundalk defender who was clear sending off yeah I, is I, it worrying I, for I, Sligo I, already I, at this stage? I suppose the manager is sort of coming out after a 4-0 home defeat he doesn't have many he's, options. Done, he's in a bit of a He's probably trying to, you know, he's, is he going to come out and slaughter the players in the second game of the season? He's probably not going to do that. And the first game of the season as well, it was a hiding, as, you know. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's looking, it's pretty grim for them. Yeah. I mean, for a team that were pretty good in the second half of last season to, to ship nine goals in two games. And I mean, they, they struggled a bit with discipline to start of last season and even just a red card again. Yeah, I mean, it was a, I mean, it wasn't a disgraceful challenge. It was, it was, you know, he got probably the punishment he deserved, but... God, it, it looked like they were torn apart pretty easily. I mean, Dundalk went to Sligo towards the end of last season. Uh, I think Sligo went down to 10 for a good portion of that game, and Dundalk really had to work for it. And it looked the other night like they were just cutting them apart. It looked like they had Sligo had 10 players. I think, I think where it is, though, I think, going back to, like you mentioned, Sligo there, it's still early days. But what I think is happening to a lot of the teams is because of the, the new rule with the three teams going down, I think they're anxious. They're anxious to get get results on the table and maybe they're not playing with their heads the way they possibly should they've probably got their mind elsewhere and I think that's as a team you need to get your mind right going into the games you need to forget about how many teams are going down how many comes up and just concentrate on the game that's in front of you and in fairness to um, going back to Drott and in fairness to Pete and that that's something that we he's trying to drill into us and obviously the experienced lads there you you try not to think about the possibilities and what people are saying outside of because it can be distractions that you don't need on the pitch and I said I think the teams that deal with that that process better will be the teams that will be more successful this year and uh, you've seen Go United you did they impress you more than Pats well obviously it's a, it was two different games it's hard to compare Just say yes <laughs> <laughs> well they did yeah in yeah, fairness they, they probably so Go United are playing away <laughs> away to Finn Harps which again Stephen is going to be a huge game because both clubs have no points yeah as I say, like I say people are anxious to get them forced points on the table and when you, you play your first two games and you've no you've no points you're thinking god it's going to be a long old season but all it takes is one win and you've got three points back and back um, in the bag and <laughs> What's it? How do you call this one, Damos? I think looking at the, the three teams there, you've Sligo, Pats, and Galway. It's all about managers. Like I, I know that's really obvious, but can they stay relaxed in the dressing room? There was nothing worse when I was playing, and you could see your manager panicking on the side of the pitch or just leading up to it, and they were anxious in the build-up. So I think Shane Keegan, in his interview afterwards, and for I was surprised at how just how doom and gloom he was. You know, he came out and you were questioning uh, Robertson in terms of him, to what he has to say. What you say to the cameras is one thing. In the dressing room, you say something very differently. But I think Keegan had a slight pop at his players. I think he's new in there and he can do that. 
But I do think the managers have to step up now. Is and, that and the biggest no no that a manager can do is publicly have a pop at the players? He didn't do it individually, no. No, I think it's, it depends on where you are in the club. If you're new in, you've, you've got time to, to set a tone there and you can get away with that. And it depends on the relationship you have with players. But I remember a couple of times towards where, where managers are struggling, actually, at Pats with, with Pete. Um, now, he never spoke about us uh, to the media or anything like that, but things were, were a little bit difficult at the time as well with Jeff Kennett as well. It wouldn't have helped if he'd have gone out and started slaughtering the players because I think training wasn't what it needed to be and, and the manager needs to drive that as well. So I just think the managers of the three clubs need to step up now and, and just put a bit of calm about the place and, and you'll get your points if you're doing well, the right thing. Well, Stevens had Roy Keane as a manager at one point, so yeah. what, what was his approach to these sort of matters? Um, <laughs> Roy, Roy was obviously a different kettle of fish. Like he... He was new to management when I when I played under me, just come in at Sunland. But if we there was times where we had a bad result, he would absolutely go off his head in the dressing room, literally go off his head. And would you be kind of afraid, or well, you wouldn't be afraid, but like you'd you'd know that he wasn't happy. But Roy was good though. He, he was he was good with the media. He was able to kind of I don't know. He, he has a switch. I think he can speak with the media and he knows what to say. And obviously that comes from being at one of the top clubs in the world and being used to kind of used to being in the spotlight but I think he handled them situations really well but like Demi mentioned it is it's very important I think if you're in charge of a team and you're controlling a group of players that you need to get the balance right of when to kind of give them that kick up the backside or when to kind of put their arm around the shoulder I've been in dressing rooms where you're, you're coming in and you're waiting for the manager and it gets to a point where it becomes quite funny you know you're in there and you're going I remember a Pats and Johnny Mack used to be a little bit irate at times there was one time he came in and he, he said, I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to scream. And then he screamed for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and like we were all sitting there kind of going, oh, my God, what's going on here? Like, you know, and because you were used to, you knew it was coming, you know, it never really had the impact that it needed. Now, what's, what's well, Paul did, well, I mean, Neil Horgan wrote this fantastic book about his time at Cork City. Well, he's done two seasons, but he, the season with Paul Doolan was spectacular because yeah. he details like the video analysis sessions, almost like yeah. the players walking down, like it was like walking the green mile down yeah. to the video analysis room <laughs> was and, and Doolan was about to like take someone out and it was almost like, yeah, I'm going to get it this week. That was his... So he started really. the, my first year at Drada, we'd gone full-time. He started the, um, the video analysis and I remember the first game we were beating 3-0 and he puts on the video and we were going, right, we're going to watch the first half. He actually stopped the tip-off <laughs> <laughs> and analysed where everyone was standing. You're going to be here for two weeks. And then I, I heard one week, the previous year, my brother was there and they were, they were part-time and Andy Myler was there and he, uh, he stuffed, the, someone stuffed a load of stuff into the video player so it wouldn't work. <laughs> it was the most stressful duel I'd ever been in his life trying to get this to work. Right, but, um, a, a, a straight question for the two of you. What's more important, your tactical prowess as a manager or your ability to man-manage a player? I would say man management. I, I think it's really important. I think if you have the right people around you, around the tactical side of things, the right coaches and that sort of stuff. But I do, even since I've left football and I've gone into the other walks of life and in management, it's, it's how you deal with people individually. You look at Stephen Kenny. He deals, deals with everyone individually. And we were, we were talking about uh, Eamon Zaid earlier on. He was at Drada with me with Paul Doolan. It was one way or, 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 or you're out. Um, you had a good story about <laughs> Eamon Zayed and you may or may not name the manager here but I like this I heard a story about Eamon Zayed signing for somebody and, and he was handed you the can draw your own conclusions he was handed the contract and it was all pleasant up until the contract was signed and literally as soon as the contract was taken out of his hand the truth was told to say you're a lazy you better get yourself right so uh, um, but that, that's not the way you work that's with him. That's good Eamon. man management, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but like Stephen Kenny got the best out of him when he played him. Like, you know, he got, well, how many goals did he score under Stephen oh, Kenny that year? Like like Tam uh, McManus was said he was amazing uh, in Scotland as a man manager. I'm going to say to you, Stephen, what's your answer to that question? I, I think man management is very important as well. You, as a manager, you need to have the respect of the group of players you've got because if you lose that, then listen, how, how, how is a team going to go out and walk and kind of, you can say, all you want you say obviously players need to take the brunt no things aren't going well blah 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 but at the same time you need if that was the if it was wasn't down to the man management skills then what would be the point in having a manager because you need somebody to kind of go in there be that figurehead if things are going well great if things aren't going bad you need somebody to stand up where you can look like you said you go into um, you go into the dressing room and you're sitting there and you're waiting for somebody to speak you need that like because i said otherwise sometimes you're looking around at each other people will be screaming at each other blame passing the passing the blame on that's when you need a manager to come in and realize he's going to put his foot down tell players what he wants from them and 
like obviously it's it's a time chance for players to stand up as well and speak to the manager and it's I think tactically like Damien says if you have people down especially nowadays when everybody you've got so many coaches in around looking at all the videos and stuff if you have the actual manager needs to manage the players that's that's his role and the big thing for me always was how many good senior players do you have I don't think you need to have too many but like if you have tr- I always looked at two to three good senior players your captain vice captain maybe. And they kind of sort stuff out as well. When you come in at half time, they're the ones who can lead. You can uh, delegate it. As yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah. And it's not always coming from the one voice shouting in your ear. Because I, I genuinely believe... Now, years ago, I probably would have said something different. I would have said that it's all about your formation and the man management stuff. Is You have to get on with it. But culture's changed. Like, you're not going to get anywhere nowadays by screaming and shouting at people. And, and you've uh, aged a bit like that jumper you're wearing as well, you know. Yeah. Again, yeah. <laughs> let's just put a mirror in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, two good coaches at Bowes and Bray, and this is a big game for Bowes because if you're looking into nine point nine game, or rather nine points and nothing out of the nine if they lose this game. And uh, Dan, is this going to be an away win? Um, uh, yeah, you, you would think, and I think what Stephen said about the Rovers Bowes game, th- there was patches in the game where Bowes were competitive, mm. and I gather in the Derry game, you know, there was patches where they lost four one, but they had very good spells in the game as well. Um, Bray though I mean I was really surprised like Bray last year were pretty uh, tight defensively I think it was more not than, so much more than like a 5-3 Bray Finn Harps game like Bray and Harps were not teams you'd associate with high scoring games and maybe Bray have brought in some really good attacking players and I don't know have they lost a small bit of that again reading a lot into one into one game um, but it's you know they, I think Bray were conscious at the start of the season that their fixture list was kind enough it sort of gave them a chance to get some points on the board and they will view this as a game that could be a three-pointer for them um, I mean pure prediction I, I, just, I think Bowes are possibly capable of stopping the stopping the rod a bit and getting a result but it might just be a game where they have to just well, play you, for that you have a result. big problem here Damien uh, he was called Young Pender uh, <laughs> on, on Monday night by Johnny Mack. He's actually 32. He is 32, he's, Derek. He corrected yeah. himself, though, afterwards, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. It's just the, the experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. He could be marking possibly the fastest player I've ever seen in the League of Ireland. Uh, you can see this, our beloved viewers. Damien has a stream of sheets in front of him with loads of stats, which is going to tell him uh, somewhere who's going to win at Daily Mount. Um, I think Bowes will get a draw out of it. I think he'll set up. They've got uh, Trevor Crawley there to put a good defensive shape on them. I think it's a game that... They're going to start looking. The, who, who around you can you start to beat? And who, who are you going to pit yourself against? Who's your peers in terms of the teams? And I think they can get set up to, to defensively to get a draw because they need to get a point on the board. I think Bray is interesting, though. When you look at the, the experienced players there, Gary McCabe in the middle, he looked very good the other night. You've Connor Kenna, Aaron Green. Like, these are really good players who've been around the league. Um, they've pulled together a really good squad there. And similar to the draw way, there seems to be a, lot of, a, a good mix of some youth coming through with a lot of experience as well. So... Looking at Bray so far, they look look impressive. Scoring goals, it, it, they're, they're, overall, they just look like a good unit. I think the question about, say, McCabe and Green and some of those lads, I mean, they've been very good players in the league, but maybe to be consistent across the season. I think at various times, some of the Bray players could be accused of, you know, just putting in that sort of 30-plus game campaign. You can get away with that at Bray. You know, yeah. if they have a... If they have a, a Three quarters of the season, they're good. They'll get away with that. If you're at Shamrock Rovers, if you're at Cork, if you're at one of the top clubs over the last new few years, you don't get away with that at the top clubs. But if you're out at Bray and you, you don't have a great performance that week... But that's know. what they're trying to change, though. They're actually trying to make Bray into a, a contender. Uh, Do you think that's going to be an issue in terms of making that no, jump? There's no pressure out at Bray. There's none. Like who, how many big money, though. They're playing big money, but that's... They play in a rather a serene atmosphere in the yeah, Carlisle ground. It's not like you have 2,000 people screaming at you week in, week out, you know, if you're not going to play there. It's, and you know, I, I don't, and I think that intensity has to come from the, the, the fans, the, the, yeah. fo- the football club, and I just don't see that. It's very break. polite. It's not going to be polite uh, in Oriel, Dan, and should be a great game of football to Dundalk and Limerick. Uh, why wouldn't it be polite? I mean... Ah, uh, Dundalk have a nice, should, be, should be a nice game. Dundalk have a lot of <laughs> fans. Let's be honest about it. <laughs> Big statement. <laughs> they do, and you know, you you can attest this after the the, the loud derby. They they do. That's I've heard they're um, a lovely bunch. No, they've a high <laughs> they've a high portion of uh, people Just hovering that, on the fringes of society, as we call a lot of League of Ireland fans. Well, a lot I mean, of mad lads out be, there. You can you can find them everywhere, Johnny. You uh, can that's, and, uh, and have. I'm looking forward to your next trip to Dundalk. Now yeah, I have to yeah, say yeah, after that. there for a while. Sort anyway, of a sweeping <laughs> statement. But uh, um, Rodrigo uh, was obviously on. Tosi was on our show last week, and uh, now he suddenly has to match himself up against the Dundalk by well, four. Rodrigo now knows what can happen in Ireland. You can somehow, you know, you can be in the middle of a game, about to take a shot Bring on goal. Bring me back to Iran, and man. The lights you know. go out. I mean, Iran has its issues, but at least it's got yeah, lighting. it's got a good you know. electricity system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> State run, probably. I, I, you know, Dundalk are 
they're sort of purring into gear, sort of nice to hear. And I just purring into gear. Are they, they won four <laughs> nil in Sligo and could have won eight nil. Yeah, but they're already in overdrive, are they? I'm not sure they're in overdrive. I don't think they are. I mean, I think they've had. I think that's possibly the problem from a Sligo perspective that it might have been too easy for them. Doc. I mean, you know, Damien mentioned earlier they're still missing a lot of players. That's the worrying and thing. And the fact is, they yeah. got Connor Clifford in. He got ninety minutes, or he got a good portion of the game. I think he did well. They got Vemelund in, and I think you know, Kenny is sometimes Vemelund's sl- a good signing, isn't he? Yeah, he slots in there, perfect. Nice he can play, yeah. even play the left back. Yeah. you know, which you wouldn't have thought that's where he could. But I think you know, Stephen Kenny would be maybe slow to change a team that's been quite successful but the fact last week he managed to use that game to get those guys their first starts uh, they won the game quite comfortably um, you know McElhenney and, and Duffy so have that sort of association we spoke about them a bit earlier on I mean they would have played together at Derry as well so some of these players know each other mm. I think they look they look pretty we're, sick we're, already we're, we're going to hear from Sean Williams soon Stephen which of these Dundalk players and there's probably a few of them is liable to maybe be the next Sean Williams going to make that move and become a pro across the water They've got bags of quality, all like you mentioned some of the players there. They've got ba- they've got quality all around the pitch. Like even they've got forwards coming in scoring goals as well. Like um, Kilduff's com- he's continued his form from last year. But I think the important player for me watching them, I always think O'Donnell is the is the key player. Played a bit like Sean Williams actually. You know they were lo- left footed players. Obviously yeah. our left footed players always in control of the ball. Sean be a little bit more athletic, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I just think the way the way he kind of, he, he, I think he's the type of player when I watched on Dock when he plays, he gets a reaction out of his teammates. Yeah. He, he, he pushes he's his the teammates leader in on. the dressing room. He's, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, well, he's I don't know what he does in the dressing room, but even on the pitch, yeah. you can see the way he plays. When he passes the ball, he passes it in a way as it to say to his teammates, "Right, we're ready to go." And I, I think he's the type of player that whether he's playing in a against Shamrock Rovers against Cork City or if he's playing in a maybe a, an easier game like you mentioned against Sligo he'll still give the same kind of effort and I think that's some really important to have players like that in your team especially the top teams because sometimes when you are expected to win you can rest on your laurels a little bit and you need players like that yeah he's the only one who really shouts in the Dundalk team if you look at the centre backs really? they're not overly uh, they're not overly aggressive Gartland maybe does talk a little bit but he's more passive in terms of but you see Stevie O'Donnell in the middle he's the one who you can just see him getting on to fellas and I've, even last year in a couple of games where they have a slow first 20 minutes he's the one screaming getting on to people trying to do things quickly and it goes back to the leaders in the dressing room in the dressing rooms like you know and he, he's certainly been in that I, I really felt Dan in the Legia game last year in Lansdowne where they, they probably felt a sense of occasion and he was the guy who took the game with a scruff the neck and in the first half basically told the other 10 players we can pass the ball here yeah I know he was good and even I think even Alkmaar away in the first sort of 25 minutes of that game where actually they started badly but then he was a big part of them getting back into it now I know like Stevie had a bit of a nightmare run in the second half of last season between like suspensions he got sent injuries off and Alkmaar well. injuries and I mean look he missed the game last week he's already missed the second game of the season and I think for him and like you know sort of Steve mentions his importance he needs an uninterrupted a bit like McElhenney really like O'Donnell and McElhenney went both went off in the first game against Shamrock Rovers and I don't think it's any coincidence that the last 10 minutes in that game all of a sudden yeah, they were sort of rocking a little bit, and that's that's their importance summed up in that in that in that one match it showed. I think. McElhenney's a special player as well. Yeah, like like him, he, no yeah he's just he's the way you kind of you you look at him and you think he could play a, a top top level. I don't know what's happened in his previous in his career, but obviously, how high could he go? I don't. It's he's, if he gets himself like he seems like he's in a better shape as well. Like he seems to be moving around the pitch a little bit better this year. Watching the highlights of him, but even last year in the European games. He, he was he was the one player. Well, not say the one player because everybody showed a bit of quality. But like he didn't look out of place whether he was playing against uh, like likes of uh, AZ and other teams like that. He looked like he was able to take the ball in, and he, he was he was a calm and influence on the pitch. And some of the some of the goals he scored, I've seen the free kick he scored last week. Like that that's technically brilliant. Like that they're the type of things there that not every player can do. And I said Dundalk are very lucky to have some of the players that they do have. Millwall are very lucky to have Sean Williams and t- speaking of technical uh, ability, this guy was a, a fine player in the League of Ireland when we last saw him. He's preparing for a massive FA Cup quarter-final clash with Spurs on Sunday and we caught up with him earlier. Delighted to be joined by Sean Williams. Sean, this must be one of the most exciting times of your life. How you doing, guys? You alright? Oh, um, good, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an exciting, uh, exciting weekend ahead. Was he as laid back as this when you remember him as a player, Damien? He sounds like nothing had phased him anyway. He was laid back until he went into a 50-50 with him and then he'd leave one on you around knee height and training most weeks, trying to get into the team. But uh, yeah, Sean, are you, are you all excited for the big game or how are you guys approaching that? Um, yeah, can't wait now. Um, as soon as the last league game was over, I think we started to concentrate on this one. So um, 
yeah, it should be. Obviously, it's going to be a tough test, but one we're uh, relishing. Sean, tell us about the week of the Leicester game, because I know it wasn't just a week where you had football matters on the mind. I believe you had a new arrival to the family at the start of the week. I mean, just tell me about the sort of roller coaster emotions that week and even how you prepared for the game with a sort of a newborn and so on. Yeah, it was. I think, well, I missed the game the weekend before um, because of my. Mrs. went into labour on the Saturday or on the Friday evening, so um, it was a bit of a whirlwind during that week. Then, obviously, building up to the game and and everything. I think we had another game then the Tuesday. We had three games that week, so um, yeah, it was it was it was a bit wild to be fair. How were the sleep levels that week then in terms of preparation? And they weren't too bad to be fair. Like um, my Mrs. quite quite good with um, obviously she knows I need a bit of rest now and again so uh, I duck into the spare room when I can and um, yeah she she does well for me we all tried that one Sean just you know a bit tired here can I get a rest <laughs> yeah the usual one. your miss is a bit more uh, forgiving than mine I'd say then oh yeah well so far anyway hopefully it stays that way I suppose, how have you found the experience of the FA Cup as well? Um, if people would argue that the shine has gone off it in recent years, and obviously you're playing Leicester, who you know, are resting players, but I imagine the, you know, the atmosphere at the same time must have been pretty incredible for you uh, to, to, to see what you could achieve. And I guess those fans of yours have a, you know, a bit of a reputation as well. Yeah, I think um, the Leicester game, obviously them being the champions and that was, um, was a lot a bigger scalp than Bournemouth and Watford, and to be fair to Leicester, they did they did change the team, but like they were unbelievable on the day. Like um, it was it was like a snatch and grab kind of win, which made it all the better because it was right at the end when we did win it. So um, like they were they were so sharp, we couldn't get the ball off them for a large part of the game, and we went down to ten men then, and at the start of the second half and. I think we kind of played a little bit better with him because they were a bit more expansive trying to obviously open us up and it worked in our favour. It's funny as well, I saw you mention in an interview recently with Nick Royal, he's a guy that um, is a friend of mine actually, we used to live together back in the day, but you said that playing against teams from the Premier League it was almost as though they gave you a little bit more time on the ball. Yeah, um, I think in the Premier League it's, well, what it seems to be on TV anyway that a team could keep the ball for long periods of time and if <laughs> like they don't mind just sitting off and le- letting you have it because you've got to break them down and then so it's a bit more of a it's a difficult different challenge as to league games where everything's 100 miles an hour and you got to win no matter what where in the cup it's you can you can take your time and um, get used to the opponent basically Sean, just to bring you back in time a small bit, back to say 2010, you're you're playing for Sporting Fingal. Sort of, what were your expectations at that point? I mean, at that stage, you were reasonably experienced League of Ireland player. You'd been around a few clubs in terms of loan moves and so on. Um, did you think England had was beyond you at that stage, or what was your your mindset in terms of your career at that point? Um, I, well, I, I, I think in the the end of the season, I I just picked up a young player of the year so I kind of felt quite good about myself and I had um, I went to Celtic on trial and Wolves on trial so things were looking up for me I weren't, I weren't disappointed that um, that I was the age of 23 24 because people have gone over at that age and made a career for themselves so um, like Keith, I used Keith Fahey as an instance. I spoke to him at the time of when I was moving, and he was he gave me great uh, advice along the way. So um, I didn't I didn't see it as as the dream been over basically. Because I mean, the, you know, Fingal's collapse, unfortunate as it was at the time, that did put you in a small bit of limbo. Did it for a period in terms of where you're at? Because I think it was only March time when you actually signed for MK Dons, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, I think we well when I was at Fingal, um, I'd been on trial over the, the Christmas period, and um, Celtic prepared a bid, and then 
Fingal knocked it back and a week later they went into liquidation so um, wow. it was a bit that was a bit of a the knockback wasn't much good yeah to no it <laughs> didn't really help argument. at the time so I was I was tra- I trained with Rovers at the time just to keep myself fit and um, luckily enough well when I rejected the second Celtic offer originally it was a three and a half year deal and the first well, the first half of it, I was to go on loan to MK Dons. So when they came back, obviously, they didn't have to pay any money for me. I was a free agent, and none of the money they were willing to pay, the fee was involved in the in my contract. So it was a bit of a gamble, but MK Dons were willing to sign me without trial or anything. So I decided to go for that route, and I'm, I'm quite glad that I did because... I don't know how I would have fared out if if I was at such a big team like Celtic and had little experience of playing abroad. So, um. Sean, when think back to what Drogheda when you were training with us, I always saw you as a centre midfielder. You, uh, over time, you'd, you'd progress into that position. I know you've moved around positions. You've been play, you played centre back for a bit. How has that gone for you? And sort of, what's your best position at the moment when when you look at your your attributes that you have? Um, well, I play. The reason I joined Millwall was to play um, centre midfield. Um, the reason I ended up at centre half at Milton Keynes was uh, the last couple of games in pre-season someone got injured and I filled in and um, done quite well so I played a couple of games for Fingal there when I think I think Sean Maher or Pezo or that got injured and the manager at Milton Keynes at the time thought I had experience playing there but I'd only played like a handful of games so you were the I least likely centre back I've ever come across. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's crazy. But um yeah, centre midfield now I'm more at home and I enjoy it there, so what did you make of the League of Ireland days that you enjoyed? I mean, we've I suppose we're riding a crest of a wave with what Dundalk have achieved and obviously you'd be well aware of that, but is there a sense that, you know, there was a bit of chaos? Obviously you you refer to sporting Fingal and um, you were involved in some very good sides, but I guess there was always that kind of, you know, uh, worry about instability and so on in the League of Ireland. Yeah, it's difficult to, I think, put plans in place where you don't know where you're going to be the following season. Um, well, I was at Drada when Damien was there, and th- the same thing happened there. And um, I was only a, quite a young lad there at the time, but it still affected, it still affected me, and I obviously. Needed needed a job then, so I, me and um, Gareth Whelan at the time we were out handing out newspapers on the side of roads and for for the Evening Herald and well when it went um, when they went into administration we had no way of making money and we still had bills to pay so you became a paper boy yeah <laughs> so you got to do what you got to do pay the bills basically. You know, also in that interview actually um, that you did with Nick, you spoke about no kind of immediate plans to come back to the League of Ireland. But what did you make of the standard of what you saw maybe last year, any of the European games? And would you like to come back at some stage? Yeah, I I love watching um, watching Dundalk last year. I thought it was brilliant. I'd, I'd sit up with my iPad and watch the games. I, I've watched, I think, was it two weeks into the season this year, I've watched uh, Rovers twice. So uh, I think it was Rovers, Dundalk, and then Rovers and Bowls. So I still, I still keep keeping good interest with um, with the league and speak to a few of the boys from time to time. So um, yeah, I'd love I'd, early days, yeah, but I'd love to um, come back and play if if I'm still well and able. A lot of managerial years pricked there, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just 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 finally, Sean. I mean, just actually about the game this weekend. I mean. You do have the opportunity to, to get to Wembley. It's the last FA Cup game of White Hart Lane. It's a London derby with the atmosphere that goes with it. I mean, it must be a, an exciting build-up. Do you try and shut yourself away from it or do you sort of try and embrace it and, and get into the excitement of what's coming this week? I'm, I'm not too sure, to be fair. Um, I think um, just I'm, I'm an easy go kind of guy, so I'll just take it as it comes. Sounds um, like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was the same. We played in the playoff final last year in Wembley and it was just another one of them things. You know, I, 
you know, I think if you get too excited, you might you mightn't play as well as you can. So um, I think yeah, if I just keep my mind focused and um, worry about my own job, hopefully I can have a good game myself and for the team. You're coming in. You're obviously in your thirties now. Do you feel like this is almost like your last chance, kind of at the at the very big time to be in such a high profile game and on the cusp of what could be, you know, a four, last four in the FA Cup? Um, no, I don't think so because I think every year you have a chance of progressing in the FA Cup, given the teams that you get drawn against. Just luckily enough, we've got by a lot of Premier League teams this year. So if I if we can win, it'll be It'd be great for, and obviously we're trying to create our own history because I think they're in the FA Cup final a number of years ago. So if with this group of players, I think we can uh, we can enjoy it and see how see how we can get on really and test ourselves. Very ageist question, that Sean. You don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been great having you on, and we're all going to enjoy uh, watching the game. I think as well, lads. Yeah, can't wait. Best of luck. Uh, all the best, Sean. Thanks very much, guys. Take it easy. All right. Bye bye. That was Sean Williams, and if you would like to get in touch with us, we are at LOI Weekly, and Dan, we did have some interesting uh, discussions this week. Well, there'll be a lot of, lot of comments Angry. about Anthony Bottomer last week. I mean, Anthony Bottomer is always a beloved character amongst... Beloved? Uh, beloved, <laughs> yeah. Beloved in the he sort of... me off once, in the, in the sort of yeah. ironic Irish... I think he sent everyone off once. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why, did he, why did he send you off? I can't uh, believe you actually got sent off. I was sent off... Four times on my very last game of football. One more than Owen Heary. One more than Owen Heary. Well, Owen Heary claimed mm. three, but I mean, there's still a sort there of could be five evidence. or six actually as I go through them. I was sent off in my last European game. I was sent off, and I was sent off in my last uh, game of football right. against Shamrock Rovers. And is the two related? Your last game in football no. and the sending off. Um, it was Gary Twig dived, and uh, it was a definitely definitely wasn't a sending off. I don't think Butterman was refereeing that night, but he did send me off once, and he was. Horrific referee. That's one thing I always wondered what it'd be like to do: get a red card. Never, never ne- been sent serious? off. Like, you know, when I see people, I've seen like yeah. people get sent off. I think, geez, I wonder what it's like. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's you won't be starting on Friday <laughs> now. You know, you've got to miss it's not one for the bucket list now, <laughs> yeah. is it? Yeah. Yeah. Elliot signed no. someone down in the ninety-fifth <laughs> minute of the last game of the season. It's even something. when I look at the weekend, you know, the Mings challenge, and I remember once up in Derry, we were been losing three 0 and I stood on someone, and it was intentional, definite red card, but it was just one of them things, red missed. Yeah, so. I'm not Rob- really coming across well in this, am I? Robbie Keane uh, was mentioned. You know, Dan, can you ever see him play in the League of Ireland? Um, I'd, I'd still be a bit surprised. We're going to uh, make this our poll, I think. Will Robbie Keane ever play in the League of Ireland? Because I want to kind of very crudely bring up the poll from last week, which again corroborated what I thought, that Dundalk were a better side than the Shells in 2004. Yeah. Well, I can only vote once. Yeah, or you could probably. I can't get all like all my mates or whatever can do it, obviously. But I didn't do that. Yeah, Dundalk you know, got the nod. Pats were a small club. All three, all three of your mates. <laughs> yeah, um, four, Damon. Okay. You're, you're a mate. Okay. Um, um, Dan, will Robbie Keane ever play League of Ireland? Uh, I'd, I'd still be surprised. I, it looks like he he still has ambitions to play somewhere else at the moment. It's, that move hasn't happened yet. But I do. I mean, I, I know I asked Stephen about it earlier. Just the fact he's been around training this week, just for the players, the young lads at the club. To sort of have Robbie Keane and I thought you were going to say Stephen for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, Robbie that, that Robbie Keane and Damien Duff sort of working with them day to day, like it's, and I think that's something that, and and having Stephen back and Stephen McPhail, and there was a period where there was no real relationship between ex international players and the League of Ireland. There was never really, there was never that link there. And I think that was a big failing in the game here. Do you see that going to happen, Stephen, that there'll be more players coming back, the likes of Sean Williams, but also like ex-Irish internationals, who will see the League of Ireland as a place for... It's not so much a retirement home, but it's you, the chance to come home and play at a decent level. I think if, if, you're a, if you're the individual and you decide for one reason or another to move back, back to Ireland then, and you're still fit enough to play, I don't see why, why players wouldn't want to play. Like, why wouldn't you want to play football? Do you know, it's... like. For me, it was a no-brainer. If I was fit, I was going to play. It, it wasn't like thinking, oh, no, I can't be bothered playing the League of Ireland because I've had like a career in the UK. I, I, I wouldn't think like that at all. I still train now and look at myself as if I was still playing like at the top level. It's just something that's I think it's in most professional players that you, you either kind of either look after yourself or you don't. So for me, it w- would be a no-brainer and I don't see why other people won't do it in the future. And I think it's to be part of the... Like, okay, there, wasn't re- there isn't really a proper football industry here because there's just not enough like full-time clubs. But even the fact that I think Keith Andrews is helping out with the Pats under-17s and even the coaching side of things as well. Maybe 
maybe it might be too late for some of them to come back and play but just to have a role An even from a, a coaching perspective I don't know I mean is coaching interest you at all Stephen is yeah. it something that uh, well yeah of? I'm in the middle of doing me uh, I've got me B licence assessment in the summer now as well so I've, I've got the foundations down for that now I wouldn't say it's something that I'm desperate to get involved in but like you say if the opportunity came came uh, came around then you, you never know it's good to have the armory in the locker we have uh, a big round of games actually Monday night as well which I should very quickly mention Pats at home to Harps Limerick Bowes Go United Rovers Derry City Dundalk uh, Cork City Sligo Rovers Bray Wanderers and Drogheda United we're coming to the end of week three Damo it's good to have you back uh, maybe another jumper the next day a fresh one we got through without you shouting at me no. kind, kind of um, I, th- I, th- I thought Stephen added a lot to the show then. yeah although he did say he doesn't He's not used to people calling him Stephen. We actually should have referred sleeves. to him as Sleeves <laughs> yeah. for the second half of the show. In Mick McCarthy's accent? Uh, <laughs> struggle. Go on, Johnny, give it a go. Still waiting go for on. Dulo's accent. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you'll get us on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're at LOI Weekly on Twitter, uh, hashtag LOI yeah, Weekly. We did it. We had lots of messages last week. We didn't Too many. Didn't necessarily get to go through them, but discussing sort of ground standards and I think general topics will we'll come back to again. But yeah, after the games, Friday, Monday, we'll take any comments. We'll try and deal with as many as we can next week Sorry. and we'll have two more rounds of games uh, past us the next time we're on which will you know bring a bit of clarity well, well who, who, we'll find out who's more in crisis next week than who currently is at the moment I think that seems to be the tone of things hashtag crisis thank you all for listening